Section 25 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola. Translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 13, Part 1. When Pierre awoke, he was much surprised to hear eleven o'clock striking. Fatigued as he was by that ball where he had lingered so long, he had slept like a child in delightful peacefulness, and as soon as he opened his eyes the radiant sunshine filled him with hope. His first thought was that he would see the Pope that evening at nine o'clock. Ten more hours to wait. What would he be able to do with himself during that lovely day, whose radiant sky seemed to him of such happy augury? He rose and opened the windows to admit the warm air which, as he had noticed on the day of his arrival, had a savour of fruit and flowers, a blending, as it were, of the perfume of rose and orange. Could this possibly be December? What a delightful land, that the spring should seem to flower on the very threshold of winter! Then, having dressed, he was leaning out of the window to glance across the golden Tiber at the evergreen slopes of the Janiculum, when he espied Benedetta seated in the abandoned garden of the mansion. And thereupon, unable to keep still, full of a desire for life, gaiety, and beauty, he went down to join her. With radiant visage and outstretched hands, she at once vented the cry he had expected. Ah, my dear Abbé, how happy I am! They had often spent their mornings in that quiet, forsaken nook, but what sad mornings those had been, hopeless as they both were. Today, however, the weed-grown paths, the box-plants growing in the old basin, the orange trees which alone marked the outline of the beds, all seemed full of charm, instinct with a sweet and dreamy coziness in which it was very pleasant to lull one's joy. And it was so warm, too, beside the big laurel bush, in the corner where the streamlet of water ever fell with flute-like music from the gaping, tragic mask. Ah, repeated Benedetta, how happy I am! I was stifling upstairs, and my heart felt such a need of space and air and sunlight that I came down here. She was seated on the fallen column beside the old marble sarcophagus, and desired the priest to place himself beside her. Never had he seen her looking so beautiful, with her black hair encompassing her pure face, which in the sunshine appeared pinky and delicate as a flower. Her large, fathomless eyes showed in the light like braziers rolling gold, and her childish mouth, all candour and good sense, laughed the laugh of one who was at last free to love as her heart listed, without offending either God or man. And dreaming aloud, she built up plans for the future. It's all simple enough, said she. I have already obtained a separation, and shall easily get that changed into civil divorce now that the church has annulled my marriage. And I shall marry Dario next spring, perhaps sooner, if the formalities can be hastened. He is going to Naples this evening about the sale of some property which we still possessed there, but which must now be sold, for all this business has cost us a lot of money. Still, that doesn't matter since we now belong to one another. And when he comes back in a few days, what a happy time we shall have. I could not sleep when I got back from that splendid ball last night, for my head was so full of plans. Oh, splendid plans, as you shall see, for I mean to keep you in Rome until our marriage." Like herself, Pierre began to laugh, so gained upon by this explosion of youth and happiness, that he had to make a great effort to refrain from speaking of his own delight, his hopefulness at the thought of his coming interview with the Pope. Of that, however, he had sworn to speak to nobody. 
every now and again amidst the quivering silence of the sunlit garden the cry of a bird persistently rang out and benedetta raising her head and looking at a cage hanging beside one of the first floor windows jestingly exclaimed yes yes tata make a good noise show that you are pleased my dear everybody in the house must be pleased now then turning towards pierre she added gaily you know tata don't you what no why tata is my uncle's parrot i gave her to him last spring he's very fond of her and lets her help herself out of his plate and he himself attends to her puts her out and takes her in and keeps her in his dining-room for fear lest she should take cold as that is the only room of his which is at all warm pierre in his turn looked up and saw the bird one of those pretty little parrots with soft silky dull green plumage it was hanging by the beak from a bar of its cage swinging itself and flapping its wings all mirth in the bright sunshine does the bird talk he asked no she only screams replied benedetta laughing still my uncle pretends that he understands her and then the young woman abruptly darted to another subject as if this mention of her uncle the cardinal had made her think of the uncle by marriage whom she had in paris i suppose you have heard from viscount de la choux said she i had a letter from him yesterday in which he said how grieved he was that you were unable to see the holy father as he had counted on you for the triumph of his ideas pierre indeed frequently heard from the viscount who was greatly distressed by the importance which his adversary baron de fouras had acquired since his success with the international pilgrimage of the peters pence the old uncompromising catholic party would awaken said the viscount and all the conquests of neo-catholicism would be threatened if one could not obtain the holy father's formal adhesion to the proposed system of free guilds in order to overcome the demand for closed guilds which was brought forward by the conservatives and the viscount overwhelmed pierre with injunctions and sent him all sorts of complicated plans in his eagerness to see him received at the vatican yes yes muttered the young priest in reply to benedetta i had a letter on sunday and found another waiting for me on my return from frascati yesterday ah it would make me very happy to be able to send the viscount some good news then again pierre's joy overflowed at the thought that he would that evening see the pope and on opening his loving heart to the pontiff receive the supreme encouragement which would strengthen him in his mission to work social salvation in the name of the lowly and the poor and he could not restrain himself any longer but let his secret escape him it's settled you know said he my audience is for this evening benedetta did not understand at first what audience she asked oh monsignor nani was good enough to tell me at the ball this morning that the holy father has read my book and desires to see me i shall be received this evening at nine o'clock at this the contesina flushed with pleasure participating in the delight of the young priest to whom she had grown much attached and this success of his coming in the midst of her own felicity acquired extraordinary importance in her eyes as if it were an augury of complete success for one and all superstitious as she was she raised a cry of rapture and excitement ah dio that will bring us good luck how happy i am my friend to see happiness coming to you at the same time as to me you cannot think how pleased i am and all will go well now it's certain for a house where there is any one whom the pope welcomes is blessed the thunder of heaven falls on it no more she laughed yet more loudly as she spoke and clapped her hands with such exuberant gaiety that pierre became anxious hush hush said he it is a secret pray don't mention it to anyone either to your aunt or even his eminence monsignor nani would be much annoyed 
she thereupon promised to say nothing and in a kindly voice spoke of nanny as a benefactor for was she not indebted to him for the dissolution of her marriage then with a fresh explosion of gaiety she went on but come my friend is not happiness the only good thing you don't ask me to weep over the suffering poor to-day ah the happiness of life that's everything people don't suffer or feel cold or hungry when they are happy he looked at her in stupefaction at the idea of that strange solution of the terrible question of human misery and suddenly he realized that with that daughter of the sun who had inherited so many centuries of sovereign aristocracy all his endeavours at conversion were vain he had wished to bring her to a christian love for the lowly and the wretched win her over to the new enlightened and compassionate italy that he had dreamt of but if she had been moved by the sufferings of the multitude at the time when she herself had suffered when grievous wounds had made her own heart bleed she was no sooner healed than she proclaimed the doctrine of universal felicity like a true daughter of a clime of burning summers and winters as mild as spring but everybody is not happy said he yes yes they are she exclaimed you don't know the poor give a girl of the trasevere the lad she loves and she becomes as radiant as a queen and finds her dry bread quite sweet the mothers who save a child from sickness the men who conquer in a battle or who win at the lottery one and all in fact are like that people only ask for good fortune and pleasure and despite all your striving to be just and to arrive at a more even distribution of fortune the only satisfied ones will be those whose hearts sing often without their knowing the cause on a fine sunny day like this pierre made a gesture of surrender not wishing to sadden her by again pleading the cause of all the poor ones who at that very moment were somewhere agonizing with physical or mental pain but all at once through the luminous mild atmosphere a shadow seemed to fall tinging joy with sadness the sunshine with despair and the sight of the old sarcophagus with its bacchanal of satyrs and nymphs brought back the memory that death lurks even amidst the bliss of passion the unsatiated kisses of love for a moment the clear song of the water sounded in pierre's ears like a long-drawn sob and all seemed to crumble in the terrible shadow which had fallen from the invisible benedetta however caught hold of his hands and roused him once more to the delight of being there beside her your pupil is rebellious is she not my friend said she but what would you have there are ideas which can't enter into our heads no you will never get those things into the head of a roman girl so be content with loving us as we are beautiful with all our strength as beautiful as we can be she herself in her resplendent happiness looked at that moment so beautiful that he trembled as in the presence of a divinity whose all-powerfulness swayed the world yes yes he stammered beauty beauty still and ever sovereign ah why can it not suffice to satisfy the eternal longings of poor suffering men never mind she gaily responded do not distress yourself it is pleasant to live and now let us go upstairs my aunt must be waiting the midday meal was served at one o'clock and on the few occasions when pierre did not eat at one or another restaurant a cover was laid for him at the ladies table in the little dining-room of the second floor overlooking the courtyard at the same hour in the sunlit dining-room of the first floor whose windows faced the tiber the cardinal likewise sat down to table happy in the society of his nephew dario for his secretary don vigilio who also was usually present never opened his mouth unless to reply to some question and the two services were quite distinct each having its own kitchen and servants the only thing at all common to them both being a large room downstairs which served as a pantry and store-place 
although the second-floor dining-room was so gloomy saddened by the greeny half-light of the courtyard the meal shared that day by the two ladies and the young priest proved a very gay one even donna seraphina usually so rigid seemed to relax under the influence of great internal felicity she was no doubt still enjoying her triumph of the previous evening and it was she who first spoke of the ball and sung its praises though the presence of the king and queen had much embarrassed her said she according to her account she had only avoided presentation by skilful strategy however she hoped that her well-known affection for celia whose godmother she was would explain her presence in that neutral mansion where vatican and quirinal had met at the same time she must have retained certain scruples for she declared that directly after dinner she was going to the vatican to see the cardinal secretary to whom she desired to speak about an enterprise of which she was lady patroness this visit would compensate for her attendance at the buon giovanni entertainment and on the other hand never had donna seraphina seemed so zealous and hopeful of her brother's speedy accession to the throne of st peter therein lay a supreme triumph an elevation of her race which her pride deemed both needful and inevitable and indeed during leo XIII's last indisposition she had actually concerned herself about the trousseau which would be needed and which would require to be marked with the new pontiff's arms on her side benedetta was all gaiety during the repast laughing at everything and speaking of celia and attilio with the passionate affection of a woman whose own happiness delights in that of her friends then just as the dessert had been served she turned to the servant with an air of surprise well and the figs giacomo she asked giacomo slow and sleepy of motion looked at her without understanding however victorine was crossing the room and benedetta's next question was for her why are the figs not served victorine she inquired what figs contesina why the figs i saw in the pantry as i passed through it this morning on my way to the garden they were in a little basket and looked superb i was even astonished to see that there were still some fresh figs left at this season i am very fond of them and felt quite pleased at the thought that i should eat some at dinner victorine began to laugh ah yes contesina i understand she replied there were some figs which that priest of frascati whom you know very well brought yesterday evening as a present for his eminence i was there and i heard him repeat three or four times that they were a present and were to be put on his eminence's table without a leaf being touched and so one did as he said well that's nice retorted benedetta with comical indignation what gourmands my uncle and dario are to regale themselves without us they might have given us a share donna seraphina thereupon intervened and asked victorine you are speaking are you not of that priest who used to come to the villa at frascati yes yes abbess santobono his name is he officiates at the little church of st mary in the fields he always asks for abbe paparelli when he calls i think they were at the seminary together and it was abbe paparelli who brought him to the pantry with his basket last night to tell the truth the basket was forgotten there in spite of all the injunctions so that nobody would have eaten the figs to-day if abbe paparelli hadn't run down just now and carried them upstairs as piously as if they were the blessed sacrament it's true though that his eminence is so fond of them my brother won't do them much honour to-day remarked the princess he is slightly indisposed he passed a bad night the repeated mention of abbe paparelli had made the old lady somewhat thoughtful she had regarded the train-bearer with displeasure ever since she had noticed the extraordinary influence he was gaining over the cardinal despite all his apparent humility and self-effacement he was but a servant and apparently a very insignificant one yet he governed and she could feel that he combated her own influence 
often undoing things which she had done to further her brother's interests twice already moreover she had suspected him of having urged the cardinal to courses which she looked upon as absolute blunders but perhaps she was wrong she did the train-bearer the justice to admit that he had great merits and displayed exemplary piety however benedetta went on laughing and jesting and as victorine had now withdrawn she called the man-servant listen giacomo i have a commission for you then she broke off to say to her aunt and to pierre pray let us assert our rights i can see them at table almost underneath us uncle is taking the leaves off the basket and serving himself with a smile then he passes the basket to dario who passes it on to don vigilio and all three of them eat and enjoy the figs you can see them can't you she herself could see them well and it was her desire to be near dario the constant flight of her thoughts to him that now made her picture him at table with the others her heart was down below and there was nothing there that she could not see and hear and smell with such keenness of the senses did her love endow her giacomo she resumed you are to go down and tell his eminence that we are longing to taste his figs and that it will be very kind of him if he will send us such as he can spare again however did donna seraphina intervene recalling her wonted severity of voice giacomo you will please stay here and to her niece she added that's enough childishness i dislike such silly freaks oh aunt benedetta murmured but i'm so happy it's so long since i laughed so good-heartedly pierre had hitherto remained listening enlivened by the sight of her gaiety but now as a little chill fell he raised his voice to say that on the previous day he himself had been astonished to see the famous fig-tree of frascati still bearing fruit so late in the year this was doubtless due however to the tree's position and the protection of a high wall ah oh, so you saw the tree said benedetta yes and i even travelled with those figs which you would so much like to taste why how was that the young man already regretted the reply which had escaped him however having gone so far he preferred to say everything i met somebody at frascati who had come there in a carriage and who insisted on driving me back to rome said he on the way we picked up abbe santobono who was bravely making the journey on foot with his basket in his hand and afterwards we stopped at an osteria then he went on to describe the drive and relate his impressions whilst crossing the campagna amidst the falling twilight but benedetta gazed at him fixedly aware as she was of prada's frequent visits to the land and houses which he owned at frascati and suddenly she murmured somebody somebody it was the count was it not yes madame the count pierre answered i saw him again last night he was overcome and really deserves to be pitied the two women took no offence at this charitable remark which fell from the young priest with such deep and natural emotion full as he was of overflowing love and compassion for one and all donna seraphina remained motionless as if she had not even heard him and benedetta made a gesture which seemed to imply that she had neither pity nor hatred to express for a man who had become a perfect stranger to her however she no longer laughed but thinking of the little basket which had travelled in prada's carriage she said ah i don't care for those figs at all now i am even glad that i haven't eaten any of them immediately after the coffee donna seraphina withdrew saying that she was at once going to the vatican and the others being left to themselves lingered at table again full of gaiety and chatting like friends the priest with his feverish impatience once more referred to the audience which he was to have that evening it was now barely two o'clock and he had seven more hours to wait how should he employ that endless afternoon 
thereupon benedetta good-naturedly made him a proposal i'll tell you what said she as we are all in such good spirits we mustn't leave one another dario has his victoria you know he must have finished lunch by now and i'll ask him to take us for a long drive along the tiber this fine project so delighted her that she began to clap her hands but just then don vigilio appeared with a scared look on his face isn't the princess here he inquired no my aunt has gone out what is the matter his eminence sent me the prince has just felt unwell on rising from table oh it's nothing nothing serious no doubt benedetta raised a cry of surprise rather than anxiety what dario well we'll all go down come with me monsieur l'abbé he mustn't get ill if he is to take us for a drive then meeting victorine on the stairs she bade her follow dario isn't well she said you may be wanted they all four entered the spacious antiquated and simply furnished bedroom where the young prince had lately been laid up for a whole month it was reached by way of a small salon and from an adjoining dressing-room a passage conducted to the cardinal's apartments the relatively small dining-room bedroom and study which had been devised by subdividing one of the huge galleries of former days in addition the passage gave access to his eminence's private chapel a bare uncarpeted chairless room where there was nothing beyond the painted wooden altar and the hard cold tiles on which to kneel and pray on entering benedetta hastened to the bed where dario was lying still fully dressed near him in fatherly fashion stood cardinal bocanera who amidst his dawning anxiety retained his proud and lofty bearing the calmness of a soul beyond reproach why what is the matter dario mio asked the young woman he smiled eager to reassure her one only noticed that he was very pale with a look as of intoxication on his face oh it's nothing mere giddiness he replied it's just as if i had drunk too much all at once things swam before my eyes and i thought i was going to fall and then i only had time to come and fling myself on the bed then he drew a long breath as though talking exhausted him and the cardinal in his turn gave some details we had just finished our meal said he i was giving don vigilio some orders for this afternoon and was about to rise when i saw dario get up and reel he wouldn't sit down again but came in here staggering like a somnambulist and fumbling at the doors to open them we followed him without understanding and i confess that i don't yet comprehend it so saying the cardinal punctuated his surprise by waving his arm towards the rooms through which a gust of misfortune seemed to have suddenly swept all the doors had remained wide open the dressing-room could be seen and then the passage at the end of which appeared the dining-room in a disorderly state like an apartment suddenly vacated the table still laid the napkins flung here and there and the chairs pushed back as yet however there was no alarm benedetta made the remark which is usually made in such cases i hope you haven't eaten anything which has disagreed with you the cardinal smiling again waved his hand as if to attest the frugality of his table oh said he there were only some eggs some lamb cutlets and a dish of sorrel they couldn't have overloaded his stomach i myself only drink water he takes just a sip of white wine no no the food has nothing to do with it besides in that case his eminence and i would also have felt indisposed don vigilio made bold to remark dario after momentarily closing his eyes opened them again and once more drew a long breath whilst endeavouring to laugh oh it will be nothing he said i feel more at ease already i must get up and stir myself in that case said benedetta this is what i had thought of you will take monsieur l'abbé fromont and me for a long drive in the campagna 
willingly it's a nice idea victorine help me whilst speaking he had raised himself by means of one arm but before the servant could approach a slight convulsion seized him and he fell back again as if overcome by a fainting fit it was the cardinal still standing by the bedside who caught him in his arms whilst the contesina this time lost her head dio dio it has come on him again quick quick a doctor shall i run for one asked pierre whom the scene was also beginning to upset no no not you stay with me victorine will go at once she knows the address dr giordano victorine the servant hurried away and a heavy silence fell on the room where the anxiety became more pronounced every moment benedetta now quite pale had again approached the bed whilst the cardinal looked down at dario whom he still held in his arms and a terrible suspicion vague indeterminate as yet had just awoke in the old man's mind dario's face seemed to him to be ashen to wear that mask of terrified anguish which he had already remarked on the countenance of his dearest friend monsignor gallo when he had held him in his arms in like manner two hours before his death there was also the same swoon and the same sensation of clasping a cold form whose heart ceases to beat and above everything else there was in bocanera's mind the same growing thought of poison poison coming one knew not whence or how but mysteriously striking down those around him with the suddenness of lightning and for a long time he remained with his head bent over the face of his nephew that last scion of his race seeking studying and recognizing the signs of the mysterious implacable disorder which once already had rent his heart a twain but benedetta addressed him in a low entreating voice you will tire yourself uncle let me take him a little i beg you have no fear i'll hold him very gently he will feel that it is i and perhaps that will rouse him at last the cardinal raised his head and looked at her and allowed her to take his place after kissing her with distracted passion his eyes the while full of tears a sudden burst of emotion in which his great love for the young woman melted the stern frigidity which he usually affected ah oh, my poor child my poor child he stammered trembling from head to foot like an oak tree about to fall immediately afterwards however he mastered himself and whilst pierre and don vigilio mute and motionless regretted that they could be of no help he walked slowly to and fro soon moreover that bedchamber became too small for all the thoughts revolving in his mind and he strayed first into the dressing-room and then down the passage as far as the dining-room and again and again he went to and fro grave and impassable his head low ever lost in the same gloomy reverie what were the multitudinous thoughts stirring in the brain of that believer that haughty prince who had given himself to god and could do naught to stay inevitable destiny from time to time he returned to the bedside observed the progress of the disorder and then started off again at the same slow regular pace disappearing and reappearing carried along as it were by the monotonous alternations of forces which man cannot control possibly he was mistaken possibly this was some mere indisposition at which the doctor would smile one must hope and wait and again he went off and again he came back and amidst the heavy silence nothing more clearly bespoke the torture of anxious fear than the rhythmical footsteps of that tall old man who was thus awaiting destiny the door opened and victorine came in breathless i found the doctor here he is she gasped with his little pink face and white curls his discreet paternal bearing which gave him the air of an amiable prelate dr giordano came in smiling but on seeing that room and all the anxious people waiting in it he turned very grave at once assuming the expression of profound respect for all ecclesiastical secrets which he had acquired by long practice amongst the clergy 
and when he had glanced at the sufferer he let but a low murmur escape him what again is it beginning again he was probably alluding to the knife thrust for which he had recently tendered dario who could be thus relentlessly pursuing that poor and inoffensive young prince however no one heard the doctor unless it were benedetta and she was so full of feverish impatience so eager to be tranquillized that she did not listen but burst into fresh entreaties oh doctor pray look at him examine him tell us that it is nothing it can't be anything serious since he was so well and gay but a little while ago it's nothing serious is it you are right no doubt contesina it can be nothing dangerous we will see however on turning round dr giordano perceived the cardinal who with regular thoughtful footsteps had come back from the dining-room to place himself at the foot of the bed and while bowing the doctor doubtless detected a gleam of mortal anxiety in the dark eyes fixed upon his own for he added nothing but began to examine dario like a man who realizes that time is precious and as his examination progressed the affable optimism which usually appeared upon his countenance gave place to ashen gravity a covert terror which made his lips slightly tremble it was he who had attended monsignor gallo when the latter had been carried off so mysteriously it was he who for imperative reasons had then delivered a certificate stating the cause of death to be infectious fever and doubtless he now found the same terrible symptoms as in that case a leaden hue overspreading the sufferer's features a stupor as of excessive intoxication and old roman practitioner that he was accustomed to sudden deaths he realized that the malaria which kills was passing that malaria which science does not yet fully understand which may come from the putrescent exhalations of the tiber unless it be but a name for the ancient poison of the legends as the doctor raised his head his glance again encountered the black eyes of the cardinal which never left him signor giordano said his eminence you are not over anxious i hope it is only some case of indigestion is it not the doctor again bowed by the slight quiver of the cardinal's voice he understood how acute was the anxiety of that powerful man who once more was stricken in his dearest affections your eminence must be right he said there's a bad digestion certainly such accidents sometimes become dangerous when fever supervenes i need not tell your eminence how thoroughly you may rely on my prudence and zeal then he broke off and added in a clear professional voice we must lose no time the prince must be undressed i should prefer to remain alone with him for a moment whilst speaking in this way however dr giordano detained victorine who would be able to help him said he should he need any further assistance he would take giacomo his evident desire was to get rid of the members of the family in order that he might have more freedom of action and the cardinal who understood him gently led benedetta into the dining-room whither pierre and don vigilio followed when the doors had been closed the most mournful and oppressive silence reigned in that dining-room which the bright sun of winter filled with such delightful warmth and radiance the table was still laid its cloth strewn here and there with bread-crumbs and a coffee-cup had remained half full in the centre stood the basket of figs whose covering of leaves had been removed however only two or three of the figs were missing and in front of the window was tata the female parrot who had flown out of her cage and perched herself on her stand where she remained dazzled and enraptured amidst the dancing dust of a broad yellow sunray in her astonishment however at seeing so many people enter she had ceased to scream and smooth her feathers and had turned her head the better to examine the newcomers with her round and scrutinizing eye the minutes went by slowly amidst all the feverish anxiety as to what might be occurring in the neighbouring room 
don vigilio had taken a corner seat in silence whilst benedetta and pierre who had remained standing preserved similar muteness and immobility but the cardinal had reverted to that instinctive lulling tramp by which he apparently hoped to quiet his impatience and arrive the sooner at the explanation for which he was groping through a tumultuous maze of ideas and whilst his rhythmical footsteps resounded with mechanical regularity dark fury was taking possession of his mind exasperation at being unable to understand the why and wherefore of that sickness as he passed the table he had twice glanced at the things lying on it in confusion as if seeking some explanation from them perhaps the harm had been done by that unfinished coffee or by that bread whose crumbs lay here and there or by those cutlets a bone of which remained then as for the third time he passed by again glancing his eyes fell upon the basket of figs and at once he stopped as if beneath the shock of a revelation an idea seized upon him and mastered him without any plan however occurring to him by which he might change his sudden suspicion into certainty for a moment he remained puzzled with his eyes fixed upon the basket then he took a fig and examined it but noticing nothing strange was about to put it back when tata the parrot who was very fond of figs raised a strident cry and this was like a ray of light the means of changing suspicion into certainty was found slowly with grave air and gloomy visage the cardinal carried the fig to the parrot and gave it to her without hesitation or regret she was a very pretty bird the only being of the lower order of creation to which he had ever really been attached stretching out her supple delicate form whose silken feathers of dull green here and there assumed a pinky tinge in the sunlight she took hold of the fig with her claws then ripped it open with her beak but when she had raked it she ate but little and let all the rest fall upon the floor still grave and impassable the cardinal looked at her and waited quite three minutes went by and then feeling reassured he began to scratch the bird's poll whilst she taking pleasure in the caress turned her neck and fixed her bright ruby eye upon her master but all at once she sank back without even a flap of the wings and fell like a bullet she was dead killed as by a thunderbolt bocanera made but a gesture raising both hands to heaven as if in horror at what he now knew great god such a terrible crime and such a fearful mistake such an abominable trick of destiny no cry of grief came from him but the gloom upon his face grew black and fierce yet there was a cry a piercing cry from benedetta who like pierre and don vigilio had watched the cardinal with an astonishment which had changed into terror poison poison ah dario my heart my soul but the cardinal violently caught his niece by the wrist whilst darting a suspicious glance at the two petty priests the secretary and the foreigner who were present be quiet be quiet said he she shook herself free rebelling frantic with rage and hatred why should i be quiet she cried it is prada's work i shall denounce him he shall die as well i tell you it is prada i know it for yesterday abbe fromont came back with him from frascati in his carriage with that priest santobono and that basket of figs yes yes i have witnesses it is prada prada no no you are mad be quiet said the cardinal who had again taken hold of the young woman's hands and sought to master her with all his sovereign authority he who knew the influence which cardinal sanguinetti exercised over santo bono's excitable mind had just understood the whole affair no direct complicity but covert propulsion the animal excited and then let loose upon the troublesome rival at the moment when the pontifical throne seemed likely to be vacant 
the probability the certainty of all this flashed upon bocanera who though some points remained obscure did not seek to penetrate them it was not necessary indeed that he should know every particular the thing was as he said since it was bound to be so no no it was not prada he exclaimed addressing benedetta that man can bear me no personal grudge and i alone was aimed at it was to me that those figs were given come think it out only an unforeseen indisposition prevented me from eating the greater part of the fruit for it is known that i am very fond of figs and while my poor dario was tasting them i jested and told him to leave the finer ones for me to-morrow yes the abominable blow was meant for me and it is on him that it has fallen by the most atrocious of chances the most monstrous of the follies of fate ah lord god lord god have you then forsaken us tears came into the old man's eyes whilst she still quivered and seemed unconvinced but you have no enemies uncle she said why should that santo bono try to take your life for a moment he found no fitting reply with supreme grandeur he had already resolved to keep the truth secret then a recollection came to him and he resigned himself to the telling of a lie santo bono's mind has always been somewhat unhinged said he and i know that he has hated me ever since i refused to help him get a brother of his one of our former gardeners out of prison deadly spite often has no more serious cause he must have thought that he had reason to be revenged on me thereupon benedetta exhausted unable to argue any further sank upon a chair with a despairing gesture ah oh, god god i no longer know and what matters it now that my dario is in such danger there's only one thing to be done he must be saved how long they are over what they are doing in that room why does not victorine come for us the silence again fell full of terror without speaking the cardinal took the basket of figs from the table and carried it to a cupboard in which he locked it then he put the key in his pocket no doubt when night had fallen he himself would throw the proofs of the crime into the tiber however on coming back from the cupboard he noticed the two priests who naturally had watched him and with mingled grandeur and simplicity he said to them gentlemen i need not ask you to be discreet there are scandals which we must spare the church which is not cannot be guilty to deliver one of ourselves even when he is a criminal to the civil tribunals often means a blow for the whole church for men of evil mind may lay hold of the affair and seek to impute the responsibility of the crime even to the church itself we therefore have but to commit the murderer to the hands of god who will know more surely how to punish him ah for my part whether i be struck in my own person or whether the blow be directed against my family my dearest affections i declare in the name of the christ who died upon the cross that i feel neither anger nor desire for vengeance that i efface the murderer's name from my memory and bury his abominable act in the eternal silence of the grave End of section twenty five.